Uh, I'm just really quickly, show of hands, uh, I'm gonna ask you uh, these questions. Um, and it's in, in the form of have you ever, right? So have you ever doubted that your parents love you, right? Maybe they didn't let you go to this party, they grounded you. Uh, if you're little, like your bedtime is at seven and you don't like that, right? Ever doubted that your parents love you? No, not a lot of you? Good, that's good, all right, they do love you. Um, have you ever doubted if you're good at your job or good enough for your job, right? Well, that's a, more of us, um, especially in the beginning, that happens. Really important one, this next one. Have you ever doubted if you look good in the jeans that you're wearing? <laughs> yep, fellas, listen, don't lie. I've walked across the mirror and be like, I think my butt's too big in these jeans. They don't, they don't look good. They don't look good, not my color. All right, so, but, I mean, we've doubted very little things and we've doubted really big things. Um, so we're in this series called Disillusioned and it's talking about uh, how do we deal with the doubts that we have. Uh, and, and last week we got a chance to, to learn with Pastor Sean that doubts are okay. They're okay for you to have doubts, it's normal. Even if you're a Christian, so you're not a bad Christian if you have doubts about your faith. Um, and it's a safe space here at church to be able to work through them. God is not concerned or afraid of your doubts. Um, and, and maybe many of you have had the experience at a church that it wasn't safe to share your doubts, but here at Grace Church, we want to just make sure to let you know and allow you to feel that it is safe to work through those things here. Um, but so in speaking of doubt, Tim Keller, right, he's a theologian and an apologist, like that's a that's a guy that's, or a woman that spends years and years studying about God and apologizes someone who defends the faith, right? So super smart. So you can take what he says about, about faith. And he says, uh, excuse me, about doubt. He says, a faith with some doubts is like a human, excuse me, a faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Right? So doubts, they're not, they're not bad. But here's what else is true about doubts. They can be influenced and oftentimes are influenced. Right, so there's a, a survey that Barner, this research group, Christian research group, um, they conducted a study, and they asked a ton of people, wide-ranging from pastors to folks of, that have no affiliation to any religion. Right, and they asked them, what are the things, right, what are the influences that cause you to doubt Christian beliefs? And for them, the folks that are disconnected from God, their response to that was... Anybody guess? Anyone just throw a guess out there. What do you think it was? Huh? What? Can't see God. No, actually, the, the greatest one was the hypocrisy of religious people. So it's you and me. We're the problem. You know the lowest? The resurrection of Jesus. So somebody coming back from the dead and ascending into heaven is not what causes them to disbelieve our Christian faith. It is us when we're jerks to them and then we're saying we're supposed to be this, right? So we can influence the doubts of people. And as we can see from this research, we have firsthand 
into being able to do that. So things, uh, there are things that influence our doubts, and we have to be mindful of its effect on us. Will it strengthen my faith, or will it shipwreck it? So today we're going to look at the different influence. Last week it was doubts, they're good, this is what they are. Here are the things that influence doubt. And then next week as we wrap, wrap up the series, we're going to talk about how to work through our doubts. So we're going to uh, um, look at Numbers chapter 13, and this is about the Israelites. So before we read anything, I'm just give you a little bit of context, right? So the Israelites, they were enslaved for over 400 years, uh, and they've been uh, liberated by God through Moses, right? Um, now they're wandering in the desert, and they, uh, uh, after like a year or so, they settle at Mount Sinai. This is where they interact with God. God comes down on the mountain, super scary. Like, they don't want to go up. Moses goes up, and he interacts with God. This is where God goes into, comes into a covenant relationship with his people. This is where he's like, I'm your God, and you're my people. Like, we're bonded together. And then he provides them with the Ten Commandments. This is how you ought to live by. And then throughout the rest of the months that they spend moving around the wilderness, uh, they are being taught by God what it means to be holy. And holy is really just a word for being set apart, right? You are set apart from the rest of the group. You act and live differently because of me, God. So uh, they're learning what it means to, to be the people of God, right? So they're no longer Egyptian slaves. They are a people called and set apart to be holy and led by God himself. They're also led uh, uh, by Moses and Aaron. Um, and then they're also forming a military. So this is uh, when God said to Moses, I want you to find out the, f- the age of the fighting men. They got to be 20 and up. And we're going to designate them, assign them to be our military. Right? And then God gives instructions on building a tabernacle, which is their temporary place of worship. So all these things, right? God is turning them into the great nation that he promised Abraham. And then God tells Moses, as they approach, as they're in the desert of Paran, they're approaching the promised land. He says, all right, I want you to, uh, uh, to pick 12 men, uh, one from each tribe of Israel, to go out and inspect the land and come back with a report. Right? And, and I'm inferring a little bit, but I'm thinking God is like, I need you to go see what I'm about to give you. Right? You're going to be giants, but the land is beautiful, and I'm going to give you all of this so that you would know that I'm God, and I'm good, and I keep my promises. All right? So, uh, and so through that story, we're going to see three different things that influence the doubt that the people have. Right? And, and I'm sure there are other doubts in, in other situations, but in what we're looking at, these are three things, three influences that uh, influence the, the people of Israel. But let me give you some, uh, let me contextualize this a little bit. So we're not, obviously we're not Israelites. We haven't been enslaved for over 400 years. We're not, we haven't been liberated by God. He has not promised us this land, Canaan, to live in. Right? But so how do we relate to the story that we're going to read? Um, whether you are a professing Christian or not, you are here today, right? You are in a church. So in some way, shape, or form, you will, you will have decided that you have placed your faith in Jesus or you are wrestling with it, right? You either have or you haven't. Either way, this means that the existence of God has a potential impact on your own existence and identity. That's the same thing with Israel, right? They were kind of not necessarily minding their own business in slavery, but they were enslaved. They had not had this personal interaction with God the way that they did. And suddenly, they're being rescued by him. And so now their life has changed. They are his people and he's their God. 
his, God's very existence and how he's interacting with them is forcing them to change everything about them and their identity. And if you're in here and you're at a church today, it is the same thing for you and me. So last weekend, uh, Pastor Sean read a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it says, uh, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So put differently, God says about our lives, if we're interacting with him, is how it began and everything in between how it will end is incredibly impacted, right? And it can either be trusted, what God says, or distrusted. What, what it can't be is kind of trusted. You can't be in between about what God is and what he says about our lives. So like Israel, we are tethered to God. And that affects our entire lives, especially and specifically today as we're talking about it, our doubts and what influences them. Are we good? We're all caught up? All right, I was going to say, are there any questions, but we don't have time for that. Um, if you have any questions, please ask me later. Uh, now that the scene is set, I want you to imagine that you're there, that you're either part of the recon team, right, the 12 that are going into Israel, or you're part of the people that are waiting for them to come back. And then we're going to read in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. You can pull out a Bible, or you can pull out your, your, uh, the Bible app, or you can read, follow along on the screen. Numbers 13, verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. So they, they had brought like a cluster of grapes with them, like as evidence. It took two men to carry it. Now, I don't, I've, I've never seen a cluster of grapes that large in person, but we can believe that this land is fertile, right? So he says this is what it produces. Verse 28, but the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even see giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So the first influence of doubt is what we see. It is a visual influence, right? So this influence kind of captures like all of our, all of our senses. It's what, what's heard, what's seen, what's felt, uh, what's tasted, what's smelled, right? We take all of that, and these are things that we trust because of our senses. So Israel reports on what was told to them is actually true, right? The place is beautiful, right? The land is rich and fertile, and the fruit is amazing. But there are also some really, really large people living there. Like, they're stacked, uh, uh, the only reference we have to giants is Goliath, who's 10 feet tall. So you can imagine whatever 10 feet tall. I'm 6'3", and I tower over some of you guys who are short, like my wife, right? She's like 5'2". Like, like you add four more feet to that. Like they're giants. And so these people are powerful. And then we got a bunch of other folks living in the area that we'll have to contend with, right? They saw what was good, but for them, the giants far outweighed what God promised he would do. So in that case, what do you think that that did to, their, to the doubt that they had? Did it push them closer to God or further away? What do you think? Further away. Right. Now I'm going to ask you these questions. These are some examples and so that you can understand what we see kind of impacts the doubt that we have. All right. Have you ever been in traffic? You're sitting on the highway in traffic. You're in a lane. Right. And you see that the lane to the left of you is moving quicker. What do you do? 
you switch lanes, right? And then suddenly, after switching lanes, the lane you were just in is suddenly moving, right? The car that was behind you is three or four cars ahead of you. And what do you decide to do then? I'm going to switch back. You switch back to the lane, and then the lane that you just left, that you thought was moving initially and then stopped, is now suddenly moving again. Like, what is going on, right? What's happening? Are you the problem? You're upset, you're frustrated, right? This is what you're seeing. But the reality is, it's just traffic. This is how cars move in traffic, like this. It's this back and forth yo-yo. You know what? If you guys are heading to the same exit and they're in front of you, it's likely a difference of three seconds. It really, you didn't save much time. But what we see, what we're experiencing, is frustrating us, right? I'll give you another example. Social media, that's a huge one. Social media, you see uh, the a beautiful picture of the individual or the family, right? They're put together, they're well-dressed, like they, got a, they, they actually took time to have a family photo, right? The foliage in the back, like it's at just the right point in the season where the leaves have changed, but they haven't fallen to the ground. Like, it's beautiful. And you look at that, and you're like, wow, that's perfect. My life is terrible. I can't get these kids together. I can't stand my spouse half the time. We can't, get, we can't be uh, uh, still for one moment to take a picture. And if we did, we probably wouldn't want to send it to anyone because we don't like the way it looks. Right? But social media kind of amps up that all these people's lives are perfect because they're capturing the best of it in just that moment. You didn't know that. The kids were fighting each other before they got to the park that they took the photo at. Right? You don't know all that stuff, but what you're seeing is showing you that, oh my gosh, this is perfect and mine isn't. So you start to doubt even the good things that you have in your life. Right? I'll give you an example from my own life. So uh, a few years ago, maybe about 28, I think 2018, we had a tree fall on our, on our house. Um, and actually, I'd come from uh, a, a church planting conference. It was the first time I went. Got really amazing stuff. Crazy to see what God is doing around the world. Uh, and I come back on a Thursday, and then the next day we were traveling to New Jersey, right? So we're on the road. It's a crazy uh, rainstorm, windy, all of that. Like trees are falling everywhere throughout the eastern uh, eastern states. And so I get a call from my neighbor, right? We're in New York, and they said, "Hey, I think one of our trees fell down and clipped." Uh, your roof. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that sucks, but okay, maybe it's not that bad. Sunday we come back, there's no power in Stoughton, and Stoughton hadn't had power for like a number of days. And I walk into uh, the room, I just wanted to check it out, we were going to stay at my sister's in Randolph, so I check it out, and then I walk into the bedroom, there's this huge hole, like it's like the ceiling exploded, right, and this branch sticking out, um, like there's uh, uh, Stuff everywhere, water's dripping in. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I'm, I'm thankful that we weren't home because it was in our bedroom, like over the side of the bed that I sleep on. Like, I'm, I might have been taken out, right, by a branch um, after coming from a conference about how we're going to serve God and, 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 and plant churches. So, and, and what ensues is a, 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 a more than a year-long process of getting back to our house. Man, it was... It was horrible. And every time that I, I went to the house to either check the mail or, I don't know, pick up stuff that we needed, seeing the branch, well, the branch got taken up, but seeing that massive hole in our bedroom like a mess and the water damage just reminded me that, oh, my gosh, like, this is going to be forever. Nothing is happening. 
right? We were dealing with the insurance company for over a year to get what we needed. Like it just, like I was doubting at that point, right? I'm asking God, like, why is this happening? Why is this happening to us, right? And are we ever, are we ever going to get back? Like this, it's horrible. So we all operate primarily on the things that we see and they influence our doubt. But the reality is what we see isn't all that there is. What we see isn't, is not all that there is. We are not only affected by what we see, but what is unseen. If there are any mothers in the room uh, and you have your kids next to you, you've gone through this experience, or your kids are in class, you know that there's been a nine to 10 month period where stuff was happening in here that you did not see for yourself or with your own eyes. Now, you might have felt it, but like the intricacies of a child being put together in the mother's womb, you weren't seeing. Am I correct? Yes or no? Right? But your child is here, right? So you see your child now, but the things that were unseen was taking place. Even furthermore, you might not have, you might not have known until maybe four weeks that you were even pregnant, that something was happening, right? So the things, everything that we see is not the only thing that affects us, right? How many of us love Amazon two-day shipping? Raise your hand. We love it, right? Two days, some of us, maybe a day and a half. You might even order something in the morning, get it in the afternoon. Like, I love that. But I don't see Amazon's operational system and how they're able to do that. Right? Maybe some of you work for Amazon, you've seen it, good for you. But I don't want to know. I just want to get my package in two days. So every, what I see is the package, but I didn't see what, what goes into it. What I didn't see with my house is that God was whittling away my attachment to that possession. I didn't see it until we got back, right? Before then, I was like, oh, if we got into a financial situation, I don't know if we want to depart from this. It's our first house, so on and so forth. But afterwards, all right, for the sake of our family and being stress-free, get rid of, bump the house, forget it. Right? We hadn't lived in it in a year and some change, so it's not affecting that. Now, I didn't realize that God was working on that until after the fact. So I was going through the difficult things, and the thing that was unseen is how God was using that situation, that unfortunate situation, to shape me and my family. What the Israelites didn't see was how God was going to deliver the land to them. What you don't see is how God is allowing the difficult situation that you might be in, that difficult season, to emphasize that your reliance should not be on your ability to do X, Y, or Z, but on him. And sometimes it's the difficult season that you need to go through in order to see that. What you don't see is how God is removing the job that has become an idol for you, right? The job that's impacting your family because they don't get to see you, right? You're working 60 hours a week or 80 hours a week and they don't get to see you. And God is like, I'm removing this job so that you don't lose your family. You might not see it then, but what we see is not the only thing that affects us. So what we see is not all that there is, but what God says is all that there is that we need to be aware of. So let's get back to the story um, and see what the second influence is. The first one is visual, what impacts is the things that we see that impacts our doubt. The second one we find in Numbers 13, 31 to 33. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the land, about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw are huge. 
We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Really? Like, you, you see what's happening? Like, they didn't go and stand next to these giants and like, oh, I look like a grasshopper. And they're like, oh, yes, you do. None of this happened. The second influence on our doubt is exaggeration. That's what they were doing, exaggerating the story because they didn't want to go. They saw the giants, and maybe they felt like grasshoppers, but they're not really grasshoppers, right? And they're not really the ones who would be delivering the land to them. It's God. But in their exaggeration, it influenced their doubt and pushed them further away from what God said. It's like when your kids come to you, right? If, if you heard a crash somewhere in the house and they're running, right? The first one that gets you wants to tell you their story, right? What might have happened is that they accidentally got kicked while they were playing. But from the story, one, the other sibling jumped from the bookshelf, the top of the bookshelf, and drop kicked them in the head, and they died, right? Like, that's the embellishment that, that we get from that story because, hey, I'm exaggerating because this is what I want you to think. So how many of you have either said or have told, like, to start a fight or, or someone telling you at the start of a fight, you always, you always do this. You never do this. Is that really true, right? Somebody raised their hand, that happened to me. Um, is that really true? You always do this thing? Do you never do that thing? No, but we exaggerate. Maybe that's what we feel, but it exaggerates and actually fuels our doubts. So with Israel... Did the exaggerations of the report help them trust God more or less? Less. Right? So exaggeration, what we see in this story, leads to doubt, leads you to doubt God. Right? Maybe you want to get married, and it's, for, what you, for you, it felt like it's, it's take, it's feels, it feels like it's taking a really long time. And so you think there are no prospects out there at all. Are there really no prospects? Is there a certain time that you should get married? Right? But that's what we feel like, so we feel hopeless. We feel, God, maybe you'll never provide. Maybe I'll never get married. Maybe you're in a new school, you just moved there, and you haven't made any friends yet. And what it feels like to you is that I'm never going to make friends. Gosh, I'm never going to fit into this school. But is that really the reality, or is it how we feel is exaggerating the situation? It feels like you will never find a job. You've been searching for months. You've gone on countless uh, interviews. I'm never going to find a job, God. Is that really true? Or is our doubt or the situation, what we feel, exaggerating what is happening actually? Right? So for, for me, months spent out of the home, it felt like, hey, we're never going to get back. This insurance company is never going to give us the amount of money that we need to actually repair the home. And then on top of that, I'd say even up to this point, it was probably the hardest period in my marriage. Like it was just like everything was going on, life was so busy, and we just constantly clashing. Like it, it was horrible. In that moment, though, it feels like this is going to be forever. We're never going to get through this. Matter of fact, this might wipe us out. And I got to a point where I felt numb. I just, I almost like I didn't care. And it's like, whatever, whatever happens, happens. And for me, that's really, really scary, right? But the situation was exaggerating the doubts that I had. Like, God, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's going to happen. We're not going to be in the house or, or this relationship, this family is going to be broken. And that's, that was a really hard place to be. But 
Now being where I'm at now, I know that it's not forever. So I do want, I hope that you're encouraged when you leave here at the very least. But having my doubts be influenced by what I saw, right, what happened with the house, and it, nothing happening, at least to me, and what I felt, the things that were exaggerated, all of that made life difficult and unenjoyable. And it made me question whether I would ever experience God's goodness in life again. Right? So this is why, though, we need this third influence. Right? We see that we have the visual stuff and the things that we feel. Those are real. It's not that they'll, they won't not ever happen. Right? They're going to be there. But this is why we need this third one. And we find that in Numbers 13, uh, Numbers 13, verse 30. It reads, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Caleb and Joshua, right? Joshua's not mentioned in this verse, but he was part of it too. They had a different attitude about what was happening. They had a different attitude about the situation that was in. They saw everything that everybody else saw. They saw the giants. They saw the fortified cities. And they might have even felt everything that everyone else was feeling that, wow, these people are massive. This is a lot to contend with. What they had was, I know that what God did, he will do again. Because I know who he is, I can trust him, and that he will do what he says he's going to do. And that influence is what allowed them to have the attitude that they had then. So generally speaking, when we have doubts, influences that we have tend to be, tend, the loudest influences tend to pull us away from God, right? They were for them, it was 10 to 2. 10 of the spies like, we can't do this. Two of them were like, we can. And it's the same thing for you and I in our lives. The things that draw us away from God tend to be the loudest, right? And so that's why I think it's important. The who you have around you is crucial when you need to respond, respond to doubt in the right way. So I'll give you a quick example. Um, I'm using my marriage a lot. So kudos, right? You guys got to give me kudos. I'm putting myself out there. Uh, so our first, one of our first fights when we first got married was a question that my wife Diane asked me. She said, oh, um, it was a regular day, a regular Tuesday. I might, I might even been at work. We were just talking. She said, would you ever want to move to Florida? And my response, no. Why would I want to move to Florida? For me, it would be hard to get a job. We'd be moving our family where we have less family. Um, and why would we have to then go through the process of finding, whatever. All the logical reasons for me. And this, from that point on, ensued was a multi-day fight about me not wanting to move to Florida. I'm sitting there like, I don't understand what's going on. You asked me, do I want, do I want to move to Florida? I said no. I shared my opinion. Like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And then I had a, a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends. He was uh, one of the best men of my wedding. And we were talking. I'm like, bro marriage? What did God do to me? Why? I don't understand what's happening, right? And he says, Rick, can I, let me just add some things there. First of all, I totally get what you're experiencing. Doesn't make any sense logically, okay? But I think what your wife was actually getting at was, would you ever consider at any point in our lives to move to Florida? Because it's something that I'd want you to consider, because I've considered it. And I was like, Okay, I, I can see that, but why, would she, why, why wouldn't she just ask me that directly? Why, did she, why the mental hoops? And so, like, him talking about that, right, him saying, I, I totally understand, helped me to realize, all right, I'm not alone, 
but yet he gave me the things to see, right? Because I wasn't reading in between the lines. And at that point, it wasn't really a matter of, okay, who was right or who was wrong. First of all, Diane was wrong because of the question. Um, I don't know if she's here, but don't tell her that. But, right, but he kind of pushed me to, hey, this is what she's trying to say. Now, address it that way. And it was. So we need the Joshua and Caleb's in our lives to kind of speak to our lives, especially when we're having the doubts, right? Especially when we're going through difficult situations. So who are the faithful influences in your life? Who are your Joshua's and your Caleb's? And are you being a Joshua and Caleb to other people? Like these are important questions that I think we need to answer. And so for Israel, unfortunately, they didn't, they didn't listen to the faithful influences. They didn't listen to Caleb and Joshua. And we're going to find out what happened to them in Numbers 14, um, uh, 10 to 12, 28 to 30. Right? So, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Right? Then the glorious presence of the They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. Sorry, I stopped. They wanted to kill them because they were going against what they were saying. They were so adamant about not going into the land. Their doubt had taken over so much that they were willing to stone, like, their own people because they wanted to go into the land, right? The glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle, and this is what he said to Moses, verse 11. How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with the plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. Whoo! Now, we don't, we don't get to see all that, but Moses intercedes for them. He's like, God, you can't do that. What are the Egyptians going to say about you? And so on and so Like, he intercedes on their behalf. And this is the result of that, verse 28. Now tell them this, surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness. Because you complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years old and up, and was included in the regi- registration, will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Doubt unresolved will undermine your faith in God. Doubt unresolved will undermine your faith in God and may wreck you. You may or may not have known this, but the people of Israel were not supposed to spend all that time in the wilderness. They spent an extra 40 years so that that generation would die out before they actually got into the promised land, except for Caleb and Joshua. Like, it's their fault they spent that much time in the land, uh, in, in the wilderness. So it's normal, and it is okay to have doubts. I have them too. We all do. But we have to deal with them properly because unresolved doubt will wreck your faith. It will undermine it. And so I think the best way to balance that out, balance out the visual stuff, right, the things that we see and the things that we experience, the things that exaggerate the situation that we're in because we're in it, the best way to balance that out are your faithful influences, right? It's the Joshua's and the Caleb's that you have in your life. The, the men and women who have experienced, who have gone through these things that are speaking into your life, encouragement, Right? And, 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 and giving you advice in terms of how to deal with that. We need those things in our life. So as we wrap up, I want to leave you with two things that you can do. One, to take ownership right, of your doubts and the things that influence them. And two, how you can add some faithful influences 
right? The first thing is you need to assess what you're consuming, right? What we take in most is what will impact us most. So here's, I'm going to read a quote real quick from an article from a Barna study. The Barna Group conducted a study recently where they found that strong Christian millennials consume over 3,000 hours of digital content a year. Only 150 of those hours are Christian. That is about a 20 to 1 ratio in, in digital content a year. So as someone a lot smarter than me once said, we become what we contemplate. You become what you give your attention to. If your ratio of secular ideas to Jesus is 20 to 1, that is going to have a destructive effect on your faith. No wonder you are struggling. Right? I'm not saying that we need to only watch videos that support our faith. But if what you're watching, right, 2,850 of it, are things that do not push you closer to God and even some of them pull you away from God, and the only thing that's drawing you to God is this, 150 hours, I think there's an imbalance there. Like it, it's logical that we struggle with our faith. We're not adding any fuel to it. We're not feeding it. We're feeding the other side. So, right, so if you spend all your time listening to skeptics, then it's normal that you would at one point become a skeptic. So as you assess what you're taking in, right, the videos that you're watching, the things that you're listening to, the people that you listen to, the social media that you're taking in, right, you, as you figure out what your algorithm is, algorithm is just a formula of how those apps decide what videos they're going to feed you. And the more things that you watch that don't support your faith, the more of those videos you're going to get. Once you figure out what your algorithm is, you need to take control of it. You need to balance it out with the things that will bolster your faith. And so as you assess what you're taking in, you need faithful influences. You need Joshua's and Caleb's. Now, they can come out in, in many ways, but one way I can encourage you, you can, is through a growth group. A growth group is just an accountability group. It's two or three other folks of the same sex that are meeting together, and you guys read your Bible, you pray together, and then you talk about the things that you struggle with. So if you struggle with your finances, they're going to ask you questions about that. Not because they need to get into your business, but because they care about you and want you to grow. We need other people to help us grow closer to God. We need the faithful influences to help us to know more about our faith, to wrestle with our doubts, and to eventually know that God can be trusted. So in a moment, uh, we are going to pray. All right, um, and I'm going to ask you, if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus, that you can ask God to help you with your doubts, right, the things that you're wrestling with, and that as you're wrestling with them, that he would add some Joshua and Caleb's to your life. And if you already have them, that you would actually listen to them, right, that you actually allow them to speak into your life. And if you are not, if you are not a fully devoted follower of Jesus, that you would make the decision to follow him that you would realize that God is drawing you, right? You're understanding that some of the things that you've heard are resonating with you and that you can actually put your faith in Jesus. This Jesus that died for you was resurrected and now has allowed you to be, has allowed you to be reconciled with God. I'm going to ask you to pray that because when you do, when you ask God to forgive you and you've decided you're going to turn from your old life to follow him, you'll be adopted into his family. You'll be given the Holy Spirit, and which from that point on will begin working on you to turn you into the man and woman that God intended you to be. And you'll be part of his family. So let's pray. 
God, um, thank you for this time that we've been able to spend uh, learning about the things that influence our doubts. And we all get them, and it's normal. But God, doubt unresolved will wreck our faith. It will undermine it. God, so I'm asking that you would help us when we do have them, that we would reflect, that we would balance out the secular things that we take in about our faith, God, with the things that will bolster, the things that we can trust that speak well of you and are trustworthy. God, so that we can accurately see for ourselves that you are amazing, you do love us, and you can be trusted. God, I'm praying for those who today may have decided that they're going to turn from their sin to follow you. God, I'm praying that from here on out, that they would see more and more day after day, even through the difficult times, God, of how much you actually love them. That they would know that all the things that you've done, God, that those are for their good. And that from this, from here on out, God, that they will add, they will not only assess the things that they're taking in, but they will have some Joshua and Caleb's to help them to grow in their faith. God, I'm asking all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.